Did you know that the Lake of the Ozark boasts over 1,150 miles of shoreline, more than the state of California? Now, you can't swim in it anymore thanks to an incredible amount of low self-esteem cigar boats and a lack of accessible restrooms. So, make sure you come to St. Louis and check out explorestl.com to book your stay, buy some concert tickets, find new restaurants, and not contract an inoperable disease. Just kidding, Marty Bird. On today's episode, we had former SLSG alum, CBC cadet, Badger, Dynamo, and USL workhorse, AJ Cochran. Keep the kids in the car for this one as he talks about his path and how important it is to do your homework on where you would fit before you decide to just chase a school name. Special thanks goes out to Jason Glover for the inaugural phoned-in pinnacle point of the day. Now, go get yourself some orange slices. Let's go. It's that time. Yeah, yeah. This is Brian Adams. I got one, and I didn't look. He's one of my favorite Canadians. Yeah? Really? Why? Why? Listen to him. Uh, So... Silky smooth. Oh, you like this? Come on. It's it's mediocre at best. You were like five to seven years old when this stuff was hot. You were trying to like hook up with your mom's friends. Little Jared, little Jared Bear. <laughs> yeah. You singing yeah. everything I do, I do for you. I was listening the, in, to uh, NWA at five to seven years old. I'm sure you were. Weren't you that kid that was on the album cover? <laughs> <laughs> no, he was on the cover of the Nirvana album. Yeah, I can't swim. <laughs> but he did he, he? Well, you didn't sue them, so that wasn't. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. We're back. Another episode. Soccer Dad Pod rolling in with, uh, as you all now know, uh, Brian Adams. Cuts like a knife. Here we go. Right. I mean, it just feels good. Kind of makes you want to drink beer, which is ironic because uh, we're up here at Maggie O'Brien's recording today. Drinking beer skis. Uh, Quick update. Let's spray the infield with our feedback. Jared, what are you drinking? You know, I finally did it. I'm doing the Maggie's Red Ale. And it's made, I just found out something new today. It's made by Perennial, which is a delicious brewery. Long-winded answer, but I'm going Maggie's Red Ale. That was a long-winded answer, but I like it. What are you drinking? Gin and soda. Yeah, it doesn't look like beer. Nope, not beer. Not yet. At least I'm, going, not I'm going Red Ale next, though, for it, sure. Is it? Is it kind of like a holdover from dry January? Like, No, I just... So you, were, you were doing tequila and soda there for a while, and well, because I had low self-esteem for a little while, so I was like, <laughs> "Need something." <laughs> Mandy, think. Mandy's okay with you drinking again? <laughs> but we should text her. <laughs> uh, and I've got a uh, what am I drinking? By the way, I think you're going oh, golden, golden light. light. Yeah, I asked the the bartender for something cold and yellow, and she's like, "I got it." This is what she brought me. It's fine. You're plain Jane, dude. I don't care anymore. Like, <laughs> I, my flavor palette is uh, focuses more on um, the culinary side, food, salt, spices, etc. So, um, we're down here at Maggie O'Brien's, getting ready to go off here again. Uh, today's gonna be fun. Got a couple things. Uh, Rolling down the pipe. Uh, I want to get some thank yous out of the way real quick. Explore St. Louis. Uh, you guys 
we really appreciate all the support. Um, and I want to point out a couple things coming up here. Uh, People Magazine just came out and they listed uh, all the summer festivals of 2024 that you need to check out. And our own Music at the Intersection, uh, put together, hosted, ran by the Cranesburg Art Foundation and a number of other organizations, Music at the Intersection was listed as one of the festivals to see by People Magazine. Uh, it is going to be September 14th, 15th, Grand Center. Uh, check this out, Jared. Some of the headliners are Black Pumas, Chaka Khan, Trombone Shorty, Big Boy. It's more of a funk-style fest. So that's yeah. coming down the pipe. The other festival, which you hit me up on, oh. their, their uh, lineup bounced this week, Evolution Festival, September oh, yeah, 28th, 29th. Uh, some of the names stealing. there. Been caught stealing once when I was five. Yep, Jane's Jane's addiction oh, killers. Would love Beck, to see them. Uh, Blondie, Killer Mike, Todd Rundgren, and STL's own Sunbolt, uh, and a whole bunch more. So, explore STL. Go to explorestl.com. Get your hotel and everything ready, and go buy tickets to these festivals because they're going to be they're, they're going to kill it. Uh, guess who's back on board with us? <clears throat> Is it plumbing? It is. <gasps> yeah. Crescent Plumbing Supply, they're coming back. And the reason is Welcome uh, back. they know that the majority of our listeners, and frankly, the numbers prove it out, 72% of them are men. Um, and 100% of them use plumbing. All of them use plumbing, <laughs> sometimes indoors. <laughs> uh, and they've got, they got a, a showroom down on uh, 9900 block of Clayton Road, Kohler Showroom, which is Crescent Plumbing Supply. Uh, go check it out. Go in, go in with your significant other, and pick fun stuff. They're going to keep you on budget. It's, it's it's just worth it. Fix it because your kids are just going to mess your shit up even more and more. So, thank you, Crescent Plumbing Supply, for uh, jumping back on. Look forward to working with you guys and our buddies over on the hill. Just a little. <clears throat> it's not even a pitching wedge. It's like a Nerf pitching wedge from Milo's uh, Beer Garden across the street. Pinnacle Loans, thepinnacleloans.com. Chris, Bill, Pete, crew. Uh, appreciate all the support. Uh, I want to go ahead and get the Pinnacle Points of the Day rolling. Um, you guys both look excited. I got a good one today. Jerry's got a good one. I, 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 I want to go first because yours is way better than what mine is likely to be. Well, so. probably. That's normal. No, it's not normal. Uh, Paul Pogba. Did you guys read about him? The, uh, the French yep. striker? French striker, four-year ban uh, for substance abuse. What? When that come out? Today. So he is he is what saying. What is the substance? Can you? I don't even know. Performance enhancing is what they said. Performance. So PE. What they call it, PED. Uh, performing performance enhancing drug. I don't know if they announced <clears throat> what the drug was, but he has been found guilty of abusing that and using it in his career, and he has a four-year football ban, and he has written a statement basically saying once this legal stuff is over I'll tell you what actually happened and he's like I, I, he's very upset and I, 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 I'm I not giving credence to one side or the other what I'm going to say is when these things happen whether it's a, a, a drug issue or an abuse issue or an assault issue we tend to get really quick on making a decision yep a um, judgment to cover the organization which I completely understand I just wish there was a way we could figure these things out without it 
automatically presuming guilt. And then... Well, but hold on. Out. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. They gave him four-year ban. So my guess it wasn't poppy seeds on a bagel. No, no, I'm with you. I'm not saying that... Again, I, I don't... I'm not a Paul Pogba uh, apologist. You can't even say his name right. I think you're saying it right. Go ahead. Okay. Pretty close. <laughs> P squared. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I, I just... I don't know. It's just a topic that I think is interesting when... Things happen, we quick judgment, quick guilt or innocence, and then we try to figure it out to how to spin it and make it not so bad for the organizations. And I think I'm not sure who I don't even know who he's playing for right now. Well, nobody for four well, years. <laughs> well, my question to that is is and this is a soccer pod, so I should maybe know some answers to these questions. Is FIFA imposing the band? Um, is it just from European football? Like, can he just come over here and play in the USL, or can he go to CST in, in June? Can he can he play in the MLS? I mean, who's 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 imposing I'm this? Barely band? confident it is FIFA. Okay, so does he was at Juve, right? I believe so. And I yeah, I would just go play somewhere else and not Europe. I don't Jared, think he can. Jared, uh, since you were not using uh, performance enhancing drugs today, you get to go second. What's your pinnacle point? Um, I did have a stiff neck. Um, That's not from PEDs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here's where I'm going with this. Um, interesting, because I'm on the history side of things now. Um, <laughs> I, I, this is this is really relevant to our show. Zach, you know what happened 25 years ago this week? 1999? I mean, no. So 25 years ago this week... 133 pounds of TNT, which is a lot, blew up the Checkerdome. Yep. And I also want to parlay into that. We could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. So so this is interesting because I did a little bit of research. The Checkerdome was erected in 1929 to be a livestock hall. I didn't know that. Did you? I didn't know that. So so but so 25 years ago today for our show and all the steamers legends we have. And I'm going to parlay it into go to our socials. On X is the one I use, at Soccer Dad Pod. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Instagram. All the things. Facebook. Yeah, Facebook. (laughs) Today, it was announced a night with the steamers on April 5th. From 6 to 8, you can buy some tickets. You come down there, and we're hosting a night with the steamers with interesting 25 years ago to this week. Checker numbers blowing up. These guys all played in it. We're going to have guys like Don Ebert, Carl Rose. Well, just real quick, Don Ebert, he's zooming in. Okay. He's okay. the only one zooming. The rest you're about to name in person. Carl Rose, Sam Bick, Jeff Cacciatore, Larry Halser, Ty Keogh, Danny Vaniger, Daryl Duran, and Mr. Steve Petcher. So Soccer Park is gracious to host us. And, and JB, uh, fill us in with some more details that I'm missing. Yeah, so SLSG, obviously with Petch's uh, role and responsibilities over there, uh, ended up being the landing spot for the event. And in order to keep it on the up and up and above the board, what we're going to do is all the ticket revenue and everything money raised there, it's all going to the Living Legacy Foundation awesome. at the club. Which is a uh, the 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 fund that helps financially needy families and more play soccer. So we're going to raise money for and kids. Several and guests that we've had on the show are either um, descendants of folks who are tribute, you know, have a tribute in Living Legacy or yeah. uh, family members. Uh, and Mr. Glover, um, his club, the, uh, the Steamers, will also be involved. Can you can you tell the folks where to go to to buy these tickets? 
Uh, you got to go to the SLSG website. They've got a they got an event page. They got a, a link to the event. Click on it. Google Docs. Sign up because these tickets are going to go fast. So yep. uh, if they're already gone by the time you hear this, sorry. I would say we told you so, but this is the first time you're hearing about we're it. So tell, we're telling uh, you so now. It's kind of uh, it, it, it retroactive. So uh, I, I got a little pinnacle point of the day. I'm going to go over to the U.S. Women's National Team side because uh, the 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 uh, female version of Alexi Lalas, Carly Lloyd, <laughs> came out today, <laughs> and basically the simplicity of her quote was. Uh, no one fears the U.S. women national team anymore. And this is after the 2-0 loss yeah. to uh, Mexico. Dos a cero, I believe. Yeah, Mexico right? beat our women's team 2 nothing. Yeah. and uh, That's awful. It, and it's one of those things, you know, we've been talking for a while. And over on Soccer Mom Sunday with Jen and crew, right. you know, this has come, came up often. Um, kind of the state of that team out of the gate. They were horses. They were the athletes. It was They beat everybody because they were just better athletes and the rest of the world caught up really really fast and uh here we are and they're not on a good run she calls it out and twitter or x what do you call it anymore jared are you are you i call it twitter still yeah so do i i'm not i'm not giving elon's rich enough i'm not giving him x too (laughs) yeah it's twitter it'll always be twitter you know they all lost their mind it's like riverport oh absolutely still riverport it's riverport forever Yeah. Yeah. yeah Yeah, when I die, in my will, it says a little portion of my ashes spread at Riverport. Is it, st- is it <laughs> so, still the TWA dump? <laughs> no, we can't go there. I, I, I call it Enterprise Checker Dome. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> this is not even the same address. Yeah, but I think on that point, really quickly, I, I, I do think it's good for the game in general for other teams to emerge. I mean, I, we've done so well for so long, we're a little spoiled. Americans don't like not being non-dominant. No, we don't. But and we we were proud of the women because the men were not. So we we took advantage. Or were of that. we just proud of them because they were dominant? I think we were both. But now that they're not dominant, it's easy to throw a bunch of shade on things when it's in reality, like you said, JB. Other folks have caught up, so it's not like our team has gone down in quality. I don't think. I think others have just caught up. Yeah. No. I mean, I. I that's exactly it. They were in the ocean all by themselves with right. a 250 horsepower motor. Well, guess what? They're bigger boats with bigger motors. At well, this and point. we trained most of those girls too. I would imagine. I would imagine a lot of those 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 girls from the other international squads have come over here, played college ball, trained pa- over here. Part of them, part of them, but it goes back to what we debate on the men's side all the time, and that is just cultural structure. Mm-hmm. You know, institutions from you know t- take Germany for example, where you have these small communities that have extremely efficient youth programs that are pipelines yeah. there is no fractured nature we have fractured nature agreed so anyway uh here's the other thing everybody listening uh pinnacle points of the day has become one of the i don't know would you say most pop- popular parts other than our dipshittery is that a word it is now shithousery i think you recorded it and most of the reviews i've it. read like my pinnacle points specifically i'm pretty sure they don't <laughs> You can't write all your own reviews either. I think he filtered for uh, his name. Yeah, so here's what we're going to do. This was actually a suggestion that came in through... Uh, Bill, Bill Luby. Yes. No, Jim Hart. Jim Hart down oh, in Tampa. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, to get outsiders to provide us pinnacle points. Well, I got one. Yay. Friend, friend of the show, two-time guest. I asked him. I told him the idea, and he's like, dude, I love it. Hold on. He goes, I got you. Well... Let me introduce to you 
our first phone-in pinnacle point of the day from here. You'll know who this is. Here we go. The boys at Soccer Dad Podcast. Uh, This is Jason Glover. My pinnacle point of the day is, call me old-fashioned, but do you remember when parents used to bring oranges to the games (laughs) for halftime? Do you remember that feeling coming off the field and going over to the sideline, dipping your hand into that ice-cold igloo cooler, probably your dad's fishing cooler, (laughs) stacked with oranges, cut in quarters, and you would just dig into the orange while the coach was saying something. Can we get back to those days where (laughs) soccer was fun and enjoyable and it was about the kids? And there you have it. Pinnacle point number one, dial in Jason Glover. Well Th- done. Thoughts? What well done, think? Mr. Glover. First of all, thanks for submitting that, and uh, thanks to Jim Hart for the idea. I think that's a, a nice addition. And I think most of the people listening to this, driving around their car right now, waiting for their kid to lose their ball at Gallagher or whatever they're doing, you know, <laughs> and the masses are sitting there shaking their head, yep, yep, let's bring back the oranges. Yeah, I love it. I, I love that memory, and I love that simplistic side of things. Well, and, and there's a scientific side to this yeah. too. Cause you know how it's like you envision the, the, the cooler and the bag and the kids hands and everybody's dirty, putting it in there. I like sour patch kids. Nobody, you didn't well, have, well, sour was that patch a Winsville thing? No, but now, I mean, kids. now everything evolves. I'd go sour patch. Kids. Okay. So I, I see what you're saying. You're, you're augmenting Jason's yeah. idea and saying, well, let's, let's modernize it by just giving them high Fructose corn syrup <laughs> yeah, wrapped in yeah. salt and sugar. Got yeah, it. let's not give them v- vitamin C from the earth. Let's give them Willy Wonka's Sour Patch. No, I, I love that idea, and I hope we get more submissions for these pinnacle points because I, I like commenting on them. Yeah, there you go. So you heard us uh, drop a little voice memo in there. Keep it sub 60 seconds. We would appreciate that because most of us and our listeners really don't have an attention span. So the shorter, the better, and we'll put them out there. So, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get some refills. We're down here at Maggie O'Brien's. We're going to bring on our guest. And we're going to ask if he ate a whole bunch of orange slices as a kid, too. (laughs) Which I'm fairly certain he did, based on his size. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Buying a home, it's kind of a big deal. Never has there been more competition to buy, so few homes to choose from, all made worse by an uncertain interest rate landscape. Now that you're short a bedroom for the third kid, you're in the wrong school district, and a walkable corner pub isn't nearly close enough, it's time to reach out to the Pinnacle Loan Team for help. They work with a network of agents that have their feet on the ground across the whole region and have a number of loan products that are cost-effective with a process that is simple. Basically, they've got you covered from start to finish. So when it's time to buy, visit ThePinnacleLoans.com. That's ThePinnacleLoans.com. Simply the best in home loans. A lot of noises. Noises. We're back. All right. This deck. Oh, I didn't think about that. I should have. It's not back. You know this one, Jer. You used to be cool. Your son used to play this for you in the car. <laughs> I don't know this one. 21 Pilots. Come on, guys. Keep uh, it. 21 Pilots? Yes. Wow. It would have taken me a long time to realize that one. Why? It doesn't sound like 
a little bit older. Now, now it does. Now it sounds now like it does, yeah. Well, I got to tell you, man, I mean, this kind of it ages me, dates me, whatever you want to say. Like, my kids grew up loving these guys. Yeah. And when they came to school, or t- came to school, came to town, they had a show over at Enterprise, and we had a buddy that was like, hey, i get you tickets, you want to go? And I'm like, uh, bleh, whatever, right? They rocked. I, I was completely blown away. That's awesome. I ate all my pr- pride and was like, okay, 21 pride. No, I didn't buy the $70 t-shirt. I can't go that far. <laughs> well, did everything you knew about them at the time was the show that they played repeatedly on the uh, on the radio? Uh, well, no. The, I mean, the, the song. I said the show. The song. Uh, all of them were because I didn't. I didn't put two and two together. Like they had fucking six hits at the time out. Okay. So anyway, anyway, that's my twenty one pilot story. Uh, we're back. We got our guest here with us down here, Maggie O'Brien's. Uh, time to talk a little St. Louis soccer and more. I'm got to talk about. Mardi Gras, too, don't we? Well, yeah, because the connection to our guest came from Mardi Gras. So thank you, Tyler, and thank you to Leroy and Alan and uh, John and Anne. Yeah, so John and Anne are the parents of our guest, and they're good friends with some folks in Soulard, including my brother. So I I got introduced to the A.J. Cochran, uh, defensive player of the year in the Big Ten in 2013, 2012. <clears throat> so, AJ, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks yeah, for man. Me. Appreciate you coming to join us. You um, you got to be super stoked right now because you're like, what else could I be doing on a, on a Thursday? <laughs> Having a beer, Maggie. Yeah, it doesn't get much better than that. So. Right? He's like, I'm here for the beer. Sweet. Um how are things going, man? Because you're uh, you're you're fresh off the game a little bit here, kind yeah. of next next chapter. Yeah. Um, scale of one to ten, how how you doing right now overall? I'd say I'm doing an eight. <laughs> That's awesome. An eight, yeah, doing pretty well. Doing I mean, pretty well, dude. You had a ten plus year professional career. Yeah. And that's not normal. I mean, there's a lot of guys that have played professionally in and out a couple years. Uh, but you had a, a pretty substantial career across the U.S., and we'll get into some of that. But, um, you know, one of our big fans of the show and one of our uh, favorite guests of all time is the Terry Mickler. Mm. And I think you might have a little relationship with, with, with Coach Mickler. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So can we kind of start maybe back there and, and how you, you know, kind of got into St. Louis soccer, but then got into CBC? Because I believe Gallagher was in there in the mix as well, which for sure. Kind of a we've heard of them, too. Yeah, we've heard of them. Yeah. So I started <laughs> uh, my first uh, select team ever was Bush for like when I was like eight and nine. Um, played for a guy by the name of Roger Shalom, who's now unfortunately passed away, but he was a great guy. And then from there, transitioned to Gallagher and um, had some great coaches when I was younger, Tom Malley, um, Tom Donovan, and then transferred to Tom Howe. And that's really where my soccer career like started, I would say, was with the training with him, Kevin Kalish, Kip Thompson, um, Lou English. Yep. Um, was there the guy by the last name of Dorsey in that mix? Mark Dorsey. Yep. yep. I mean, it was so. Those were my Gallagher coaches. Um, so I was very blessed to have them, and that's kind of where you know it went from a hobby, you know, to to more of like, hey, there might be a future in this. Because Tom Howe was known for producing professionals. Right. Before the academy, before all that, like if 
you know, Gallagher and Tom Howe probably produce more professionals year year in and year out than maybe any other trainer in the country, in my opinion, you know. And I think it's valid. Um, well, I, I, <clears throat> I was just uh, bumped into the other night out at Creve Corps, uh, Mr. Brad Davis. Oh, yeah. And we were talking about exactly that, about exactly him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you guys just said basically verbatim the same thing. Yeah. Um, when you were, well, let's get a quick lay of the land too. Siblings? You have any siblings? Yep, I got an older sister who's uh, two years older than me and was a phenomenal athlete who, who pushed me. She was a gymnast. And where so. where'd you grow up? Which uh... I grew up in Baldwin. Okay. St. Clair of Assisi Parish, right there, like Kurz Mill and Kurz Mill and Clayton. West County. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you didn't just do <laughs> no, that, did you? <laughs> I didn't do this. I didn't do a sign or anything. Yeah, you did. No, I didn't. This is a, yes, you did. I saw it. Yeah, okay. I saw I that on a bit. Disney show once. <laughs> <laughs> we don't get a lot. I'm sorry. I got to take them where I can. So, so okay. So you're a Baldwin kid. You're growing up. Um, you, you're in the club game. You've got the coaches. Let's just call it that yeah. across the board. Uh, you're entering into your high school years. Mm-hmm. Um, was it always going to be CBC, or were you looking at other high schools? Were you was public in the mix, or was it just the the private route? Yeah, I think it was the private route, just because of the the soccer. Basically, is what I'd say. Um, my dad went to Viani, so I visited Viani. Um, where else? So, like, my three choices were CBC, Viani second, and then Whitfield third. Okay. So Bill Dawes, right? Bill Dawes was yep. the longtime coach yep, at Whitfield. Was. Yes, he, he was. I think he coached my dad, and I think that's kind of why I. I think that he coached Jay Alberts too, who went to went to Yale from from my era. So Bill Dawes was the like coach a, there. You're right. Also a legendary St. Louis coach. Yeah. So was your uh, when you made the decision? I mean, what you because because we all know how this goes in town. <laughs> you know, when you have a lineage, and the patriarch or the matriarch goes to said school and their offspring goes to the wrong school, in their opinion. How did that go? Griffin about to uh, pay tuition for a cadet. It went all right. And the reason why it went all right was because two of my dad's younger brothers went to CBC. Uh, And then um, I had two cousins that were there at the time. So it, it was okay. If it wasn't Vianney, you know, CBC, my dad, my dad was happy with it, and so well. Let's 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 talk about that intro intro to CBC because you're talking about in those days, um, you know, the teams were rolling, still very very powerful, very very good. Uh, did you know, like at the time, like what you wanted, and you know, and going into an extremely competitive environment with a coach like Coach Mickler, um, were, were you already looking not through and or past CBC? But did you see it as a tremendous opportunity for the next step? Exactly. I saw it as a tremendous opportunity for the next step. I was definitely not looking through it um, because I knew at that time I was only in eighth grade, right? Like yeah. my my heroes at that moment were playing high school soccer or just got out of high school soccer. Right. So growing up, I'm watching Will Bruin. I'm watching, you know, Tommy Meyer. I'm watching... Um, Tim Ream playing at the soccer park in front of five, 6,000 people or going to, you know, a Chaminade afternoon high school game with the barbecues going and the fan sections. And those were like, you know, didn't even think about college or pro. It was just get to CBC and try to make varsity. We, we have a theme on this show about high school and about club, which I want to point out in your era, you were one of the fortunate guys to be able to do both at a high level. It was kind of that beginning of that academy age group when Scott Gallagher, where you played at, was Missouri, Illinois. You were on the Missouri side. Can you talk about the battles on that side? Because a a fan favorite guest of ours, Sam Fink, 
he was on the Illinois side, and yep. I know you guys met up later on in life. We'll get to that. Can you talk about those battles a little bit between Missouri and Illinois and, and what that meant as well? Yeah, it was a it was a rivalry from the from the minute it started. Um, you know, it was a great. The reason why I think it was a big rivalry is growing up, you played against all those kids. Yes, you did. So once it got to the academy and the development academy started, and it was you know Gallagher St. Louis side versus what was it? It was it was Metro Illinois side. Metro, yep. yep. Metro, yeah, okay. Metro. Um, and the rivalry just you know blossomed naturally. It was. It was going across. Uh, it was going across the river, and, and we're getting uh, re- we're getting refills real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Good. <laughs> oh, yeah. what would you oh, like? I'll take a gold mic, please. There Draft, go. please. There we go. Nice. See, I'll do, there we I'll go. Do red ale. Yeah. Um, you said sorry for uh, no, you're taking fine. making beer a priority there for a second, but you know you know it's going. Um, when when the clubs are going toe to toe, and I'm gonna I'm kind of add on to what Jared was talking about. You, there was another layer of that rivalry, and you were one of the last groups that were able to benefit from it, and that is the high school rivalry yeah, as well. Yeah. So talk a little bit, a bit about, or compare and contrast for our listeners, um, kind of the difference between that club rivalry, you know, between East and West, mm-hmm. and then when you got into the fall, you know, you're playing for your crest, so to speak. Yeah. Talk about the difference in that rivalry w- between SLU and Desmet and Chaminade and Vianney, right? Yeah. What, what, what was the difference in your experience between those two types of rivalries? That's a great question. And um, what I can say um, is the high school rivalries was a lot greater. Um, and from my experience and, and, the reason why I would say that is, and I'm not saying that the Gallagher and Metro rivalry wasn't there because it was there, but the high school was on a on another level in terms of us versus SLU, the Smetch, I'm not the MCC schools mainly. Right. And I think you know probably a huge factor of that is there was more eyes on you. You know there you know in just the history of the high school soccer, like you know there was obviously alumni for Gallagher and Metro, but like. The CBC alumni soccer base is absolutely enormous, just like SLU, just like Viani, just like DeSmet. So when you're playing in the MCC tournament, playing in front of a couple thousand people, you know, if you lose, if you lose and you go into school, you know, it's... (laughs) There's a lot of crow to eat. Man, there's guys looking at you like, what are you doing, right? Like, you you see those guys at a party that weekend and, you know, they're talking, you know, they're talking and... Well, I I think that people don't even realize it like we do because we're from St. Louis. Our listeners, a lot of them are from St. Louis. This is like high school football in Texas. I mean, hundred percent. I mean, you're you're playing at Soccer Park in the state final against CBS against SLU. Let's call yep. it your junior year. Yep. There's six thousand people at the game. Yep. Six thousand people watching a high school soccer game. One of my favorite games I've ever played in in my life. I mean, yeah, it's in my just, life. I mean, those games through the years played out there. It's just well, phenomenal. Well, let, let's let's keep going down this road because I'm really interested in your take because you also spent you know. Uh, your career at a time where that shift was occurring in real time? I think there was two years after me, and then it was done in terms of select and high school. So I think two years after me, a um, kid by the name of Austin Ledbetter, yep. who also a St. Louis guy, I think he was the last, his class was the last class to be able to do both. Okay. So, so as a player then, um, in college and even into your pro career when you were looking back in real time did did it sting a little bit when you did see the elevation of academy uh the 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 lasering out of the option 
Uh, did it did, did it bother you a little bit, or did you see it as uh, the next step, or or just natural change? It's a good question. Also, um, I I was I felt sorry for the guys that weren't going to be able to experience the experiences that I got to playing high school soccer, but I also knew that that next step for academy was the future, and that was where I'm not saying that if it stayed the exact same that it wouldn't you know we we still wouldn't be producing the players that we are now um, I'm not saying that but I think the academy was the natural transition and as soccer continued to grow in our country and the more professional teams the better in the environments the more money um, you know it was the natural progression um, now I, to answer your question I do feel sorry for the guys that didn't get to experience high school soccer like I got to because it was some of my best memories Ever, where, uh, yeah, I'm with I mean, you. Ever, so that um, you know that I do feel sorry for him. So I, I'm going to keep going here because I love this subject. <laughs> um, today, when you look at the landscape and you look at these kids and you look at the talent and then you think back to your experience and you think about the the alum ahead of you, you know that you grew up idolizing and you know and and, and you knew them personally because you you were in. Uh, rarefied air from a standpoint of you excelled at a very, very high level. So you were constantly in a circle that put you around some of the best ever. And when you look back at these individuals, and how many times have we had this conversation on this show, guys, where you, we, we ask this uh, conceptual it question, you know, how do you define it, blah, 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 blah. Well, there's always this uh, kind of spine of competitive nature, mm -hmm. right? The will to win competitiveness. Mm -hmm. Going back to high school and club and today's environment and what you what you experienced but now to a degree doesn't exist the way that it did. Do you see an overemphasis on player development over competition, over rivalry? And do you see that as a potential detriment in the T overall well-roundedness of a player? Ooh. Um, I would say yes and no. The only reason why I say, you know, no is because I think that once you get to a certain age that that kid has to have that in him. Once you hit a certain age, yeah. Yeah. you know, he has to have that fire, that competitiveness, that it shouldn't take, you know, a rivalry match for him to go out onto that field. It should naturally happen in every, every day in training. Yeah. It should happen, you know, if you're playing six aside, it should be like, I never want to lose. Or checkers. Checkers. Or, or checkers. <laughs> yeah. Anything. Yeah. Anything. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. literally anything. Um, so, you know, I do, you know, it's, it's also, I'm going to keep saying this, but it's also a great question. I, I, I think it's important. If I had to go by steps, I think, like, up until, like, 13, 14 years old, like, have fun, get the, you know, the, the fundamentals down, enjoy the game. Once you start getting to like that 15, 16, 17, 18, like you really need to start to find that competitiveness and if it's something that you really want to do. And I think over those four years, like it will tell you a lot about yourself as a player, um, you know, whether you have that edge and that competitiveness and how far you want to take it and how competitive you are. So, you know, it's hard. I, I guess you have to find the right coach too. You know, because if you have the right coach that's pushing that competitiveness, you know, he can instill that in, in players. And coaching is, you know, so incredibly important. If you get a coach that isn't, you know, super competitive, maybe. 
Well, let it me, could let, be hard, right? You, yeah. so, some coaches would maybe punish a player for getting upset in training. Yeah. You know, if his team loses and kind of like, you know, blows up a little bit, he might be like, hey, you know, relax, relax. But just kind of, you know, well, I guess it depends. So we, we name Very dropped earlier, you know, from Terry Howe and, and all your club coaches mm -hmm. to Terry Mickler right. on the high school side. Uh, name drop a little bit. Which one of those, in hindsight, when it came to competitive nature, if you had to pick one of the coaches exclusively based upon not development, mm -hmm. but their drive to win, who who would you pick? Terry Mickler. And and I am so grateful that I had <laughs> both of That's them. That's not for the coaches you've had. Wow. Because yeah. Tom Howe, well, out of those two, out of those two, Tom Howe is the best trainer that I've ever had in in the game period in terms of development okay he was really the only like you know even the national team coaches that i had for like 18s and 20s and 23s he was the best trainer that i ever had um was he competitive yeah but he was he was so hard on you details um that it wasn't so much about winning games if we would lose a game one nothing and our team played great he was really happy with us terry mickler was not like that that was like Gallagher way back in the day <laughs> absolutely absolutely Absolutely, 100%. Terry Mickler was, we're winning this game 5-4. We're, we're making three or four passes, and we're getting a shot on goal. So, and I got, I got you know, <laughs> thankfully, I got both of them. Yeah. So, like, I kind of got to develop under Tom Howe, and get into high school, and then. It, and it's then, interesting but, because um, in our world of academy versus high school, what you just explained, you benefited from having a piece of both worlds. So true. That, 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 that's so interesting to me, and it's almost a disservice to the kids today of the decisions that they're in. Um, moving on past the, 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 the high school academy days, um, you land Sorry, up in Dave. Madison. That's a great um, point. That's a great point, what you said, though, because if I never had Terry Mickler, that side of the game, maybe I wouldn't have seen for... And you also wouldn't have played in front of 6,000 at soccer parks Absolutely. against all your buddies that you played club with. 100%. You know, Which, so by the way, who won that game? We did one nothing. There we yeah, go. One -nothing uh, I see. Yeah. I see that little grin. <laughs> yeah. So but I, I don't know if they beat us the next. They might have beat us the next year. I don't think they won state. Nobody the next cares. Year. Yeah, that's true. You guys won. And again, that we're talking about. Yeah, we you win. go right into a program like Wisconsin in the Big Ten. And, and you have a lot of success there. Um, talk about coaching. You had another damn good coach in, in Wisconsin. John Trask. Yeah, John Trask. So, Keith Tmeyer, St. Louis Viani guy, was the assistant coach there as well. Wow. So talk about how you ended up at Wisconsin. And JB likes to find this out, you know, when we, when we talk to guys that went through the game. Your dad, soccer guy, um, went to Maryville, mm -hmm. I believe. Um, what did it mean to your family? to get that call to go to Wisconsin. I mean, that is, and is that campus one of the best campuses in the country? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how long I got here, but I'll try to make this as quick as possible. So <laughs> yeah, when I was going through, when I was going through the college recruitment process, um, Mike, no, was Mike Roach there at the time? Mike Roach went to Indiana, but I think Mike Roach transferred to UIC with Kevin Stoll. Okay. okay. So I knew Kevin Stoll growing up, and John Trask was a coach at UIC, and they just made the Elite Eight. So when I was doing my visits, I went up to Illinois, Chicago. John Trask was there. Loved John, but I wasn't, I didn't know about UIC. Well, I get a phone call a month later, and he went to, I wanted to go to a big school. Yep. Okay. I wanted to go to a big school, like, you know, 40,000 people, party school, college football. That's what I wanted to do. Yep. So once he went to Wisconsin, I didn't know anything about Wisconsin, but my sister went, was a gymnast up at um, UW Lacrosse, which is a Division three school up there. And she's like, you got to go check it out. And I visited SMU, I visited SLU, visited SIUE, all like the ones that were close to me at the time. But I had, you know, I had, thankfully, I had a, I had a lot of opportunities. But I went to Wisconsin, 
I drove down there. I saw the campus sitting between two lakes. And within the first hour of meeting Trask, I was like, I'm coming here. I don't even need to go on any more visits. It's that beautiful. Did you go to a football it's game? stunning. <clears throat> yes. On your, okay. That was well, I mean, oh, that, not, not on my visit. Not okay. on my visit. I didn't go to a football okay. game on my visit. But that, I mean, campus that really, enough. That was really going to be one of my questions because, you know, when, when we look at kind of the, uh, let's go 20 to 25, maybe even 30 years back. We, and if we take kind of a roll call of St. Louis players and their pathway. When it comes to the, uh, college, the the D1 uh, players, IU, SLU, Missouri State, you know, there are certain schools that are kind of like, to a degree, like St. Louis Part Two. Mm-hmm. you know, because they took so many kids. Mm-hmm. Wisconsin is not one of those schools that was on where St. Louis kids were there. Were you aware of that? I mean, was there was there like growing up knowing that a lot of your idols did go, you know, yep. they were Hoosiers. You wanted a big school. IU was a big school. You know, obviously slew in the backyard, but it sounded like you wanted to go away and experience something more. Where did Wisconsin come into, you know, th- that part of the equation? So I initially wanted to go to SLU. Initially wanted to go to SLU. It was um, Dan Donegan and Mike Beck. Took my visit. Um, you know, I would have committed to SLU. Thank you. That year, I think it was my junior year when I like could make a decision. They went to Rutgers, and Mike McGinty yep. came in. Yep. Okay, so from there, I had to change my thought process a little bit. And you guys asked me earlier about looking through high school to get to college and pro. It wasn't like that, but for college, it was. And the only reason why is because John Trass had connections with the U.S. youth national teams, and he got me into my first national team camp. And I knew from what Tommy Meyer, Will Bruin, you know, anyone that was a St. Louis guy, Brad Davis, that played for the youth national teams growing up, they were likely to go pro. Pro, pro that, path. Pro path. So John Trask got me an opportunity. Um, thank you, John, for, for my first national team um, trip. And that sealed the deal to go to Wisconsin. And from there it was – and I also, if I got a second, because I think this is so important if there's young – um, you know, young people, young players listening out there and their, and their dads is I battled with, hey, I want to go to a North Carolina. I want to go to an Indiana. I want to go to a Wake Forest, like these UCLA, where it's the top, you know, schools in the country. Because I wanted to be able to walk back into CBC and say, hey, look, I just committed to UCLA. I'm so happy I didn't. And, and the reason why is because I got to go to a school where I knew I was going to be competitive as a freshman and yeah. play. Yep. Okay, so for sacri- and that goes for divisions too. Not only Division One, all all across. Go, yeah, go, go somewhere where you can. You think you have an opportunity to play, and you have a good relationship with the coach. If Wisconsin are, you know, at the time, I think Duke had a sophomore starting starting center back, a junior, you know, center back, or a senior starting center back, and a sophomore that got. Why would I go there? Then yeah. I got to compete. I'm not they, saying yeah, that I'm scared of the competition, but I mean, geez, like yeah, the hurdles are there. The hurdles are there. So try to choose a path that you think playing-wise, coaching-wise, because, I mean, there's there's players that go Division two, Division three that, you know, are unbelievable pros. And yeah, so I think advice. that's so important for, for when they're thinking, you know, when kids and their parents are thinking about where to go to college is sacrifice that, you know, oh, well, I'm going here because it's a big-name school. Really look into your path of where you're going to play, you know, the coaching, obviously the education and – you know, well, try to make a decision off of so that. So I'm going to follow up on that. How important, and again, continue to speak to the kids, because the kids are going to be listening to this one. Um, speak to doing the homework. Yeah. 
Because you you mentioned, you know, like you thought that Duke at the time had a sophomore starting center back and a senior or a junior or whatever. You knew you were a center back, right? Mm-hmm. You knew your position. How important is it to to look at more than the, the, the address, you know, or, or their trophy case when it comes to evaluating what's a good fit for you? Right. Right. Um, I think it's incredibly important. I mean, if anyone that watches, you know, American football, when you're watching the games ahead of the games and you're hearing these guys lift off co- list off colleges, half of them now I'm like, well, I don't even know where that is. Yeah. And, and, and I think it can translate to soccer as well, where, you know, these guys took a different path. Do your research. Wisconsin was 4-11 or 4-12 the year before I got there. Now, they did have 11 or 12 freshmen that they just brought in. But I don't think any of them were center backs. They had a senior center back, okay, Arnie, who was an incredible guy, Colin um, Colin Manny, who was an incredible guy, and then they had a junior, Kyle McCredden. But I knew that if I wasn't going to play a lot my freshman year, that I had an unbelievable opportunity to start my sophomore year. Yeah. So I did that research. I knew John Trask loved me. Um, Keith Team, I was a St. Louis guy. I had a good relationship with my dad. Boom, go. All Big 12 freshman team, mind you. Uh, well, all Big Ten, Big Ten, yeah, all Big yeah. Ten freshman team. Yeah, yep. yeah. I, Congratulations. I, I know we'll get into more of the pro side coming up after the break here in a second, but I love your articulation of the decision process. Yeah, because we talked to coaches. I mean, we're sitting here. We've got the head coach of Michigan State and the head coach of SIUE over our shoulders mm-hmm. right now. And we've heard from them on how they choose and how they determine how they're going to pick their team. But hearing your story really illustrates the importance, like you said, JB, of doing your research, doing your homework, and, and, and looking for schools that fit your personality and your goals. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing. And so yeah. that's a, a recurring message and a current, recurring theme. So I thank you for that. I know we're about to, to tap out for a, another break here really quickly, but I, I just, no question, AJ. Just I love the fact that you are willing to kind of share that that side of the story because it's obviously very important to you. For sure. And with your journeyman approach to the, the pro career, mm-hmm. I think it's critical for the, the, the kids that are out there thinking about that right now. Uh, yeah. I can't wait to get into that because I have a question. Oh, yeah. From being a St. Louis soccer player going into this break and, and then following the successful kids that came behind me and all those names you mentioned, I remember reading Internet, Soccer America back in the day. I have a, a question that that I can't wait to get the answer to when we come back. Is it a long question or a short question? It, it, it's probably a little bit of both. There's is a little it, bit of setup. Is it shorter than three minutes, 30 seconds? Because that's song. It's definitely shorter than that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We're going to come back right after the break. AJ, really appreciate your time, man. We're uh, we're going to spray the infield with uh, some We're going to get some refills and cold, get cold ready deal. for a second half. Kelly, yeah, yeah. yeah, there we go, man. Uh, we'll be right back. We're down here at Maggie O's. Catch you after the break. The term staycation was really invented by soccer moms. Located one hour and seven minutes from the arch, the Music Box Chalet at Innsbruck is a hidden gem. Buried in three acres of private woods, the Music Box has a master suite for just you, a loft and second bath for them, and a vinyl collection to meet your every mood. The full-size kitchen will easily accommodate three to 12 bottles of rosé, while the huge fire pit seating area will keep the big kids busy. Golf, fishing, kayaking, pickleball, or simply reading a book with Mother Nature, all at your fingertips. Visit either VRBO or Airbnb to find 
the Music Box Chalet. And now, back to those guys. No. Red lights on. Here we go. Yep, this is my speed. You like this one, don't you? You know I do. Yeah, yeah. I've been listening to this dude a lot lately. Have you been? What's his name? Ryan Bingham. He's Old, the guy uh, from uh, I think the show I never watched. Kate this weekend. Yellowstone. I, ne- I never got into that show. I just, I it's never uh, did. Is it true it's that Kevin Costner's not coming back? And it's, um... I hear it's a big old standoff. <clears throat> I mean, give him whatever he wants, right? If he wants... I think at this point, you kind of have to, don't you? And you're talking about, what, the the series finale, right? Or the, the final season? Just yeah. kill them all. You gotta, you gotta, well, yeah, that's what they're going to have to do, <laughs> I, I would think. I mean, they're do something. Yeah, he, uh, he'll be back. Because it's all about the daughter. We're we're gonna get into you know the next phase of the career and the end of the Wisconsin days. Um, I first want to recognize you're the you're the defensive player of the year in 2013 at Wisconsin. And I the, the question that's been killing me just following your career, being a fan of yours, is you go into Houston and you have a ton of success. And you mentioned Dominic Kinnear as your coach. I want to know how it affected you mentally when the coaching change happened and going into year two, being confident as hell, coming off training with Fulham, mm-hmm. which I don't know if our listeners know. He went trained with Fulham. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you got a fair shake. Yeah, you know, that's, that is the, the point of, like, my MLS career that, you know, that hurts me the most is, you know, the biggest thing that I can say about you know, being a professional and not even being a professional college, high school is, is timing. Okay. So give a little background, you know, rookie year did really well. I think I played, you know, more than 25 games. A ton for a yeah, rookie. For a rookie. Um, You're flying high. Flying high. You know, I think I was top five rookie in the year, like rookies in the MLS that year in terms of minutes played, playing well. Dom and I got a good relationship, like, you know, gave me an opportunity as a rookie, which you know, thank you so much for, you know, because, like, a lot of guys don't get that opportunity. No, they don't. And um, that is an enormous thing as well as players getting opportunities. I could go on all day about that. But so <laughs> to go back to your point, um, got to go over to Fulham, and I'm just, like, in my opinion, playing the best soccer my entire life at Fulham. Um, and come back, and I hear, you know, Dom goes to San Jose, and I was like, you know, okay, like, that's unfortunate, but he's had an incredible run at Houston. He um, going back home to San Jose, and I hear we got an English coach coming in, Owen Coyle. I'm like, okay, this guy's English coach. Like, Dom was a little more kind of like Terry Mickler, like, hey, you know, no bullshit. Like, we're going to score goals. Like, not a super possession-based style coach. A um, little more old school, um, and I kind of like to keep the ball a little more. That was kind of my mm-hmm. Tom Howe. So I was like, this English coach is coming in, mm-hmm. and he's gonna love me. Okay. <laughs> So come in first, first like preseason trip. We go down to Tucson, um, play the first half, and I started the last five games of my rookie year. So I'm like, I'm coming in, like I'm going to be battling. I'm for ready this. to go. I'm ready to go. Confidence high, and I thought I'd play a pretty damn good first half. And the next six or next four preseason games, I don't, I don't get a minute. And I'm like, whoa, like what's going on here? You know, my opportunity, like blah blah blah, and. And you're probably pissed at this point. Pissed. But I'm like, all right, like, you know, I'm talking to my dad. I'm talking to my agent. I'm like, 
wait, wait, wait. Well, you know, I kept waiting and we weren't very good that year. So I kept waiting for an opportunity, kept waiting for an opportunity, never really came. And kind of funny, it did come one game and he played me at left back against LA Galaxy, um, which was Gerard and um, I don't even know who else they had on the team at that point. But um, and we win three nothing playing left back. First time I played left back since before high school. Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, I think I called my dad while I'm in the locker room getting ready for this game. I'm like, what's this guy doing? Playing me a left back. I finally get my opportunity. Like, why is he playing me at center back? Blah, blah, blah. Go out, win three, nothing. Well, next game we play Real Salt Lake, starts me at left back, and I did not play well. Never saw the field again after that. Okay. Um, but it was a, you know, it, was, it, it hurt, you know, it hurt. It hit, hurt hard. In our game, and, and, and I want to know from an organization standpoint, and I know you had a good support system with your dad and playing the game mm-hmm. and, and other people, but it, there's so much on the mental side. And for you to have the career you had after getting kicked in the pills like that, mm-hmm. I, I just, did you have anybody mentally helping you through that time other than your family? My dad. My dad. I mean, 100%. Every day. So, got to credit my, I mean, my mom's uh, amazing, but my dad um, called him every day for my 10-year career. He was my therapist, you name (laughs) it, okay? When things were high, you know, my fan, okay? My dad was the man. I mean, my therapist, when they were low, and over a 10-year career, you know, I mean, it's it's a roller coaster. So, got to give so much credit to my dad. I'm super blessed to have him. Um, Now, to go back to the Owen Coyle thing, because I've thought about this a lot, (laughs) and now that I'm retired... Um, I can I have a, a better perspective on it. Okay. Okay. So let me throw this this ball back in your court. Okay. Okay. So you're the head coach of an MLS team. You get your first job. Okay. Say it's a two year deal. Are you gonna take a chance on young players? Are you gonna play your veterans, knowing that if you start slow, if you don't have a good do I have first to win season, right away? Say it again. Do I have to win right away? Right away. Right <laughs> away. Like you know, first <laughs> I think year. I know so that's my big this. thing. That's my big thing. Yeah. And this goes into the opportunities that I was talking about, where. These coaches are under so much pressure so early that if they don't get results and their team's not doing good, they're getting fired. Yep. Right. So, and if, that's real money. And that's, it's, that's real, real money. institutional cost. So it's, you know, it's looking back, I'm like, why is this guy not giving me like a true opportunity, a true shot, you know, to earn that it spot? It wasn't personal. It wasn't personal. It was him looking at David Horst, Jermaine Taylor going, these guys got 100 plus games in the MLS. I got to win early. I got to see. You know, I got to go with the guys that have more experience than me. So looking back on it, um, Owen Coyle was a great guy. You know, he was great in the locker room. I would, I wasn't a huge fan of him as a coach, you know, personally, just in terms of his tactics and his training sessions. Neither was sessions. Houston. Yeah, neither was Houston. <laughs> I'll be <laughs> curious, I'll be curious to see what, what your, your guest in the future um, says about it because, you know, it's interesting. Like, this guy was like 50, you know, 50 years old. His assistant was Sandy Stewart, okay? great guys so i'm not knocking their character because they were amazing guys but they would train every day so these guys these guys were training six v sixes okay playing with, with those pros yeah. and it's like well like if you're a new you know if you're a bumper or something like that like no problem but like you know we were doing relay races before well, games it was just strange it was just strange yeah, yeah. so so let me ask your your mindset at that point because you were so cognizant of making the decision coming out of high school when you went to Wisconsin you just alluded to it kind of that strategic decision making process for your path now you're in the pros mm-hmm. so there's not real I mean there's different teams different opportunities but you're getting paid to pay to play at that point mm-hmm. you're kind of at the top mm-hmm. a a degree of the top. Mm-hmm. 
how do you adjust out of that situation? You know, because you're also in a situation where you don't have a lot of the, you're, you don't own the joystick anymore. You know, you are, you're part of the game. Yeah. How did you mentally adjust coming out of that, that experience into continuing to play? Um, man, I, I, the easy answer to that is I just kept going. You know, I called my agent after that year and I was like, get me out of Houston. I got plenty of games for two years. Get me onto the ML, an MLS team, blah, blah, blah. And it's not that easy. So like I go on, <laughs> I go on trial with Red Bulls and it's myself and Aaron Long and one, two other guys fighting for a center back spot. And Aaron Long was with them before and I played terrible over those seven, seven to 10 days. So I get let go, and then I go to Colorado for three three weeks, and I'm playing really well. Score a nice game-winning goal. I'm like, this guy's signing me. You know, like Pablo Mastroni, like really liked me. Um, Worst hair ever in uh, men's national team history. <laughs> you would know better than me. You would know better than me. But I was like. You know, Land- I was, was going to say Landon Donovan. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I'm trying to... Not good. Man, I don't know. I don't know. But. You know, long story short, they end up signing Jermaine Jones, and I get the boot. And okay. I was like, okay, like, you know, what am I going to do now? Well, I go back to Jeremy Allen Ball, okay, gave me a shot with St. Louis. I'm like, I'm going to go home. I'll go home, be with my friends and my family that I haven't seen in six years, um, play in front of them, and, you know, and because at the time there was whispers, you know, maybe the MLS is coming to St. Louis, like have two good years here. Maybe maybe the St. Louis team comes, and, and I can jump straight into that. Um, and uh, our first year, dream we, come true. Yeah, dream come true. And it was, you know, the two years were interesting. Uh, first year was great. Loved the locker room. Was a fan of Dale. Loved Jeremy. Um, you know, Tim Leonard was assistant coach. Uh, we had Mr. Caruso. It was great. We just couldn't score. Yeah, okay, that was kind of the bottom line. Second year, Precky comes in. Okay, and wacko. Man, just <laughs> once again, we've heard once again, character wise, like in terms of like, I don't know him as a father, right? I knew his son and his son was great. Okay. So I don't know him out of the business side of soccer, but I couldn't stand the guy. Could not stand. Him. He just was not my cup of tea, not my style of coach. Would never play for him ever again. Sounds like he is, schiz- like he is, he, he is multiple personalities. Well, Sam Fink tells a story about the first day of uh, well, preseason yeah, he cleaned his kid <laughs> and then he oh proceeded God, to i remember cut. that <laughs> i remember that and sam was you know sam was in the doghouse from that point on yeah and he left you <laughs> know? Hey, by the way Seriously. jeremy allen ball told me on the side which is the highest of highest comp- compliments defensively he'd take you and sam as a pair over anybody man we were we were good together we were we were very um we were very similar players, which a lot of coaches don't like, right? They're like, oh, well, if you got, you know, a big, strong kid in the air that maybe isn't, you know, the quickest in the turn, maybe we pair him with, you know, someone that's just lightning. And um, Sam and I did really well together. My best center yes, back pairings of my career were, you know, guys that were a little like myself, you know, maybe a little more technical sound on the ball, but not crazy athletic guys. Um, I loved playing with Sam. Um but to go back to your original question, sorry for going off off path a little no, bit, but it was just that's what we do. You know, my dad was a huge thing, and I just kept going. You know, I just like looking for opportunities. But St. Louis was a point where I was like, "Am I retiring after my second year?" I was so fed up with the game, how the past three years went. I was so mentally exhausted. Um, I was partying too much. You name it. I was like, "Dude, I'm done." And my dad was like, "You got to keep going." 
you gotta you gotta give it one more opportunity. You gotta give it one more opportunity. You gotta leave. And I'm like, I'm leaving my friends, my family. I'm like, where am I gonna go? So you have six more years after this, correct? Yeah, six more years after this. Wow, go ahead, Zach. No, I just I want you to pick up where you just left off. You know, finish that story because I, I really want to get into and kind of finish this off with your final years uh, because I there's a thread here that I really want to pull on. Okay. But I want you to walk through the next, you know, three to four years before you get to Charleston. I'll uh, do it. And then I, I, wanna, I have a, a follow-up question to that. Sounds good. I'll do it quickly. Now, Atlanta, um, I got an opportunity to go to Atlanta and play for their second team. It was their first year for Atlanta, too. And I was, like, making no money. I didn't have an apartment. So, like, you know, I was spending... <laughs> basically making nothing you know everything that i made in in houston and saved a little bit of okay in in st louis like i was spending it just on rent and food um shout out to mikey ambrose who was my roommate who was on um the first team he was a great guy great guy um but that opportunity that risk that i took to go down to atlanta two and play for an mls two team um was the greatest decision that i ever made in my career was taking was taking to not quitting to taking that risk of moving away from my family and friends again for no money, basically, to have an opportunity of, to train with an MLS team um, was the best decision I made in my career. And um, it led to me training with the first team two, three times a week, playing against Joseph Martinez, Miguel Amarone, like these guys, Parkhurst, Nagby, Jeff Lernowitz. That team was pretty good. The team was right. stacked. Yeah, and, that team was good. And was one top- of our big MLS teams. Mm-hmm. And um, Tata loved bringing guys up from the second team to, to play against them on Tuesday and Wednesdays and the team that they were playing's formation and played like 33 or 34 games and uh, for the second team and got to train with the kind of go on trial with the first team at the end of the season and just didn't work out. But, you know. So so let's talk a little bit about that roller coaster then and kind of how you how you viewed it because I'm sure there was a lot of reflection outside of your conversations with your dad or peers, you know, you because, again, you're going – you're coming out of Wisconsin on a super high. You get this. You, you go. You go to Fulham. Mm-hmm. You know everything's clicking for you, yeah. and, and then all of a sudden it's not. Yeah. And then you come home and, you, and you're approaching and considering and contemplating the finish line at that point. Oh, then you keep on running, and now you hit another uphill, and you know, and you're picking up momentum, and enthusiasm, probably, you know, passion again. You know, because it sounds as if that also was kind of, an, you know, the ebbs and flows of that. Did, were you cognizant of all that going on in real time? Like, did you were you were you trying to find a way to love the game, have fun, keep it passionate? Or at any point in that process, was it a job? Was it a grind first? And then hopefully I get to have fun playing soccer. You know, I'd say the the year with Precky was the biggest grind. Um, you know, I always had confidence in myself, and I think that's that's why like I was able to keep going because I had another letdown at the end of Atlanta where I didn't you know get signed to the first team. Okay, and I little side note, I got to play next to Miles Robinson for like thirty two games that year or something like that for the second team. Okay, so like. Aaron Long and I were competing. Miles Robinson and I were competing, you know, and, like, I kept, like, missing it, right? Kept missing it. So, Atlanta, you know, they didn't think I was good enough for the first team. But, you know, I didn't quit. I didn't quit, and I still believed that, I, you know, I was just playing against the best team in the MLS. I was playing against Joe Martinez. Like, I still got it in me. And sure enough, Phoenix gave me an opportunity, and um, I just kept going. I kept going, and, um, you know, I had a lot of belief in myself that I 
I still had it, and there were still opportunities out there for me. Well, let me let me just simplify my question, and I'm, yeah. I'm going to ask the same question again, only way simpler. Were you having fun? Were you still having fun going through that process and what you were experiencing? Yes, I was. Um, mainly because I've always been a huge locker room guy. Yeah. Okay? I always loved going golfing, going out for beers with the guys, getting food after training, you know, so, you know, soccer was a therapy for me, you know, when things weren't going well, when you're between those lines, like everything else doesn't matter. You're just, I was just there to train and win and whatever drill I was in, just try to be the best I could be. And and when I outside of soccer, I tried to have fun to blow off steam. And, um, you know, and that's why I was, you know, I did have fun, you know, and then, and yeah. So I, I just I'm thinking about your career, and aside from junior and senior year at Wisconsin, did you ever have a stop where like going into the next year you're like, I have my spot, like 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 think about this like, did you ever have like okay I'm the left center back or I'm I'm the I'm the starting center back because did you have to go in in every camp and just compete and win your fucking spot? Every fucking year. <laughs> ten years. Ten years as a pro, I think I had nine head coaches. Wow. Okay. I think In terms of, like, interim coaches as well, like, I think I had nine head coaches. Wow. So to answer your question, never. My closest one was going into my second year in Phoenix. Okay. Um, and I think, I don't want to get this wrong, but I think that's when they signed Corey Whelan who was coming from Liverpool's Academy, who was a center back. And I'm like, okay, well, here we go again. Here we, here go. we go again. They have Mitch Tainer on um, as, as a trialist. I'm like, here we go again. You know, and that was the, I think the maybe the only time up to that point, it was the only time up to that point where I had the same coach going into my second year. And that was year six for me. So the first five years, I had a new coach each year. So, so let me throw a curveball question at you then a yeah. little bit. You know, well, let's bring everybody up to speed here. Team count. Post Wisconsin, how many teams did you did you play with? Um, I think six, six, yeah, six over ten years. So you have six over ten years. Yep. Um, you've got your years in Wisconsin. You've got your CBC State Champ mm-hmm. days. You've got Bush Early and Gallagher. You know, next step. Ten years from now, fifteen years from now, if you were to project out, which team do you miss the most? Phoenix. Really? In a heartbeat, you, 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 did. you were the closest. Phoenix, that and, was a, that then, was a very very. You, I mean, then, you were staring me in the eye there. It's very moved. quick. Phoenix first, Charleston second. Now my first year in St. Louis was incredible. Um, my most memorable year was probably my first. Well, I shouldn't say my most. Yeah, maybe my most memorable is my first year in Houston because I finally <laughs> accomplished my dream. <clears throat> yeah. I, that I was trying for yeah. eighteen years, you know, twenty years. Is there an elephant in the room? Because we have to bring it up. I go, mean, go for it. The the a top moment for anybody's soccer career when you're in Houston. Mm-hmm. Who do you get to play a friendly against? Yeah, yeah, didn't get. It was got to train with them. Got to train got with to, them. Got to train with them. Yeah. So tell the story. Just I mean, and, and there's a picture on the internet to prove it. Yeah. So that second year in Houston was a nightmare. Besides this, um, was uh, <laughs> for me. For me. For me. It was it was a nightmare. But. Um, yeah, they said that Argentina was coming down for a uh, for a friendly and that, you know, Messi might be there. That's literally what they said. Messi might be there, but they need five young guys to come train with them. They want, you know, some bodies for this. And I was like, okay, like, 
you know, they're telling us this. I'm like, absolutely. They, they had some academy guys. Like, absolutely. And um, sure enough, we get out there. J.J. Watt, like, walks through the locker room to come watch, you know, the training session. And um, he was a badger. So it was, it was like, okay, you know, he's got to be coming, right? Messi's got to be coming. Well, everyone gets off the bus, and Messi isn't one of them. And then, like, you know, 10 seconds later, he comes But who Messi. are the other guys on the bus? Like, Tevez, Mascherano, like, <laughs> Iguain, Rojo, Iguain. Uh, Di Maria. It was st- Di Maria. It was stacked. It was stacked. And, and, and you were like, let's go beer bong, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I beat you guys at that. Yeah, I beat you guys at that. Uh, but, um, yeah, I got the, got so, the so you talk about you, for a day. So, so you talk about 10 years worth of daily calls to your dad when that, after you're getting ready for bed that night and those guys were just on the field with you. What's that conversation? Well, the, like? the main guy, he's about to tell you, he he was on the field. Yeah, he trained with Messi. He just said that. Yeah, oh. no, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yep. so he like, when you call your dad that day, what do you what do you tell him? Like, oh, I was at work today, and by the way, well, some little five-foot-six guy from Argentina stopped by, kick it around a little bit. He kissed my elbow. <laughs> told him leading up to it, you know, that it, he might be there, and then I call him, and he was just like, you know, that's amazing. I didn't really realize, you know, how major of a situation and like a memory it would be for me and obviously you know he's my undisputed goat probably because i trained with him, but right. also you know because he, 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 just he, he won the world cup <laughs> he's he's got my vote all day so that was you know that's top top two. well top so i want i want to get you yeah, i know we had we got to shut this down here soon um unfortunately because i've really enjoyed this conversation the thread that i want to kind of weave back together uh and you, you illustrated it very well, I think. You, your whole career had a St. Louis element in almost every team. Yeah, including and Wisconsin. Until, yeah, because the assistant coach. Well, and Mark Segbers, Tom yeah. Barlow. Oh, my God. Nick Jones, Brian Hale. But got until, them all there, yeah. really, you had that until you went to Atlanta. Yes. And that was the most defining moment of your career. Do you think there's any tell there about getting outside of the comfort of people you know or at least the culture you know to help you grow absolutely absolutely and um it did the same in charleston too yeah um devin rensing was there but um mark segbers wasn't there when i first did it but to answer your question about atlanta yes and uh, give a little shout out to Patrick Schulte. he was the only st louis guy uh-huh. that i saw when i was down there he came down there to train when he was training with slow but yeah, getting getting out of my comfort zone there, and um, you know, it, it 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 maybe maybe it you know just turned my you know notches even even more on um, you know just training and trying to trying to make it, and I don't know, I don't know, it's you know, it's a good question. I love it, and I, I think I just want to give you an opportunity to kind of to close this thing out with just a little bit of your time at Charleston. Yeah, the last season was pretty magical. Absolutely. Unfortunately, ended. Not so perfectly, mm-hmm. but you got another couple of St. Louis guys. You had Brian Jones, oh Beggers, yeah, Brian, jeez, how can I forget uh, Brian? Devin, yeah. Um, so just kind of close this out, maybe, unless there's a some, couple of final questions from from no, JB. I don't have any final questions, but I got some parting words. But go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, Charleston was 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 incredible. I went down there from Indy to um, to in my career. I knew it was going to be my last season, and you know it was. It was a whirlwind of emotions. I thought I was going down there, and I thought I was going to start and play. They were not good the, the, that year before. You know, they brought back the two center backs that were the year before. I'm like, I'm going down here, and I'm starting. And 
really didn't get that opportunity. You know, that's the only thing that I will say about that year. I really never, I don't think I played two games back to back the entire year, but I had to take on a different role, which I'd never really had to take on, especially as an older player. I got to play, you know, a lot of minutes for a lot of the teams I played for. Besides really my bad. second year in Houston and the year in Charleston, um, you know, I got to play a lot. So I'm very grateful for that. But I had to take on a role of a leader in the locker room and bring it into training every day. And it was super fulfilling at the end of the day. Love that. Now, my dad kept me sane because I wanted to go in there a couple of times and, you know, be like I'm. You know, Flip the desk over. Dude, 100%, 100% like multiple times. But I bit my tongue. I bit my tongue and, and trained hard. And it was so rewarding. I got to end my career on a trophy and, you know, have nothing it. great things to say about the coaching staff there and the players I played with there. It was phenomenal experience. Was it ironic game. that it that it also ended against Phoenix? Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Look, that, that, that was just written in the stars because oh we gosh. deserved to win it my second year when COVID hit and whatnot. That's a whole other story. If you guys yeah. are generous to have me back on, I'll tell you that story, which is let, love so let me ask a closing question here. Um, in, in now that you're at the you're at the end of the line, you've. Uh, you're home, you're working, uh, and we have MLS here. Mm-hmm. Um, you you grew up, you know, at iconic institutions, iconic coaches. You had an incredible career. What does St. Louis soccer mean to you? Everything, everything, and um, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be getting back into a little bit of coaching here. You know, probably pretty shortly because it was it's defined my life. Yeah. Um, up to this point, until thirty, it's it's been my best friends in the entire world. Now I have great friends not outside of soccer, but I have, you know, the relationships that I've built from the game in St. Louis growing up. Um, you know, it's everything. It's it's you know, from a kid to my you know, my mentality, learning about myself, my relationship with with my friends, my teammates, my parents. You know, the game of soccer in St. Louis is special on so many different levels, and I'm so so grateful. You know that. That I got to play it here in you know this amazing city. It's it's awesome. My parting words is is thank you, and I, we have a lot of mutual friends and coaches and acquaintances. And what I will say is this: for your mom and dad and you, after your, your impressive long career, the best thing that you can say is everybody is that I've talked to are ecstatic about you and the man that you are. And so uh, yep. kudos to you, man, and kudos you to your much. parents. I mean, you, I mean, what, what an awesome job. Thank you very much. Well Thank said. You. Well, dude, um, appreciate your time. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Man, I mean, I it's like, we're going to do this again. Please, uh, please. You're kind of a natural on the mic. Have you thought about broadcast booth post-career <laughs> here? You know, I've thought about a whole bunch of different things. Did, I'm not giving up soccer. I promise you that. I'm well, going to stay in you're, it somehow. You're not, you're not married, right? I am. You I are am. married. Yep. Kids? My you beautiful kids? wife, Danny. Not yet. Not yet. No kids. Do you have pets? Yes. Okay, so technically you're dead. You could be a guest <laughs> host on Soccer Dad. You want to come and join us, man? Open invite, dude. If you guys give me a call, I promise you that I, I will be here. You I had an absolute blast. You also got a pretty tall left-footed center back. In your household. I think there might be a mentor on the mic here. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let me know. Oh, yeah. I'll go out there and kick it around. I'll oh, buy yeah. you beers. Deal. <laughs> hey, man. Thanks for joining yeah. us, man. Thank we're we're going we're gonna to keep close. We're going to keep you around the show here Please. Uh, for months blast. to come, man. So uh, looking forward to that. Uh, you two jokers, appreciate your uh, com- camaraderie yet again. Uh, and thank you, Jason Glover, for... Uh, the phone in pinnacle point of the day. I think Jason, I, I think Mr. Glover could do better as mediocre at best. <laughs> well, I'm if he made it this far, he might be texting you. All right, thank you, Maggie O'Brien's Explore St. Louis uh Crescent Plumbing Supply. 
and thepinnacleloans.com. We're out of here. Going to roll you out with a little Zach Bryan. Catch you guys next time. Later. There's delays on the plains out of eastern Montana. Wait, told me you were leaving from.